we're so obsessed with success and so obsessed with like keeping people from failing and keep kids failing and keeping ourselves from failing that we don't venture into the unknown of the imagination because guess what? Like whenever you think about doing something and then try to do it, you fail over and over and over again. So there's gotta be a comfortability with failure. Like there's gotta be like a recognition that failure is part of the creation process and it's part of the imaginative process. And that the more you fail, the better you get at thinking up something and then creating it. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Would it surprise you to know that I am fantastic? Not in the least bit, but I'm very glad to hear it nonetheless. (laughs) Question for you. Yes, sir. How good is your imagination? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I guess it depends on the situation or <laughs> what we're doing, what we're talking about. How good is your imagination? I like to think for the most part, pretty good. It was probably better as a kid and in my earlier years, maybe than it is right now, when I think of kind of the way my imagination worked and I would come up with things that weren't necessarily possible. And in my head, I would then make them possible mm-hmm. uh, is... I think what I think of when I think of how my imagination hopefully still works to some extent today. Yeah. I think what I've found is that my imagination, if I can call it that, works at somewhat specific times, like when I'm trying not to think of something or like if I'm walking the dog or I'm, you know, just driving and some idea pops into my head that I've never had before. And it's really like, kind of like you said, something that you never thought, thought would be possible. It's those moments that kind of make that, uh, make those thoughts happen, I guess. Any examples you can think of? Um, If not, I can share one that that comes to mind. That aligns aligns with one of my hobbies as being a roller coaster enthusiast. When I was in high school, I came up in my imagination for a roller coaster design element that included a jump. So the train would actually leave the tracks and then it would then safely re-enter the track. Okay. And I looked at that and said, all right, here's something that's distinctly not possible. And then just scribble down everything that would need to happen to then make it possible. And then granted, I haven't seen it in real life yet, but in my mind, I think that that is possible based off of where my imagination led me back then. Gotcha. Gotcha. There was a book I want to say it might have been called Jumper, where on the cover, there was a picture of a coaster going through the loop, but the, the top part of the loop wasn't there. Oh. And the coaster, I may be re- completely misremembering that, but that's okay. That actually ties into our, our topic today, because our guest talks about, you know, looking at the past versus looking at the future. 
which is a really interesting way to think about imagination. So Vince Cadlebeck is the founder and director of Meow Wolf. You've probably heard of it. You've probably seen them in the news. Maybe you visited one of their locations. And if you haven't, then you probably have that on your list of attractions that you need to get to. Uh, so their first location was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the House of Eternal Return. Their second location was Omega Mart in Las Vegas. And then there's a third one opening in Denver this fall. And it is quite an interesting type of attraction that I would say uses a lot of imagination to then spark the imagination of guests who visit. Well, what Vince talks a lot about is that transformative moment, you know, when you go into a space and you don't know what's going to happen. And when you leave, you have been changed or transformed in some way that you think differently, you're inspired to act differently. And those are the kind of things that even as he describes going through one of his experiences at Meow Wolf, you start to think, wow, that could really change my perspective. Mm -hmm. in, in many ways, the way that Vince described it, it sounds distinctly opposite of a theme park. So you go into a theme park, you pull out the park map, maybe you did all the research ahead of time, you know the rides, you know the shows, you know when you're going to do this. Uh, you can really plan it out and have a lot of control and structure over it barring, you know, weather delays, maintenance delays, all those you know, operational elements of it. You know, you're checking things off as you go. And when you're done, you're done. And you leave satisfied knowing that you completed everything. This is basically the opposite of that. You, you walk into something that you really don't know the type of experience that you're going to have. And that's what makes this so remarkable. Yeah. You, and you don't know because you're going to create it. You know, as you hear about how Vince talks through the, the experience, what you choose to do really changes your experience. And a young person could do it. An older person could do it and have vastly different experiences. Similarly, as we talk about, somebody could kind of walk through and not do anything and say, I don't know what I just did, but was that worth my, my admission price? Right. Okay. But so, so that's part of the, the mindset behind creating these attractions, if you will, because people really do have the ability to experience them in very, very different ways from one another. Or even if you go back and do it again, you could mm -hmm. have a completely different experience. Yeah, the way that Vince phrases that is that the guests have agency and total control over what it is that they're going to experience. There aren't signs that say go in this direction or open this or lift this open. You are completely on your own to discover that. And similarly, he talked about the employees as well having that type of agency uh, in a very unscripted type of format, uh, which again is distinctly different than what we're used to seeing in the theme parks industry or in the greater attractions industry as a whole. So we could probably talk about this interview all day and, and recap uh, how cool this was to be able to learn all about Meow Wolf. But I would say, let's get directly to this amazing conversation with Vince Kadlubek. Vince Kadlubek, founder and director of Meow Wolf. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We are so excited to talk to you today. How are you? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited too. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm in lovely Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, my hometown and the place I work out of. And life is really quite awesome right now. Nice. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah. I, so Vince, can you give us just a, a quick overview of your career? Maybe just a, a quick highlight into what is Meow Wolf? 
Yeah, absolutely. My career is a very strange career. Like when I was 34 years old, I was uh, a food delivery driver for a, you know, for a company here in town making like maybe 200 bucks a week, um, living with my parents. And that was like five years ago, six years ago. And, uh, then kind of overnight, um, you know, on the side, basically I was running meow wolf, which at the time, like from 2008 until, until 2015, meow wolf was like a social group, like a clubhouse, um, people who got together and made work out of like recycled materials, pulled trash out of dumpsters and stapled it on walls and like created these like walkthrough, uh, exhibitions inside of these like really dank, really gross, like warehouse spaces. Um, we, you know, the, the, the best we could afford and, uh, you know, so, and then we would open them to the public and people would come through, you know, and, and it was like, it was, um, not a business by any means. It was more of like a cultural expression. Um, Meow Wolf wanted to, Meow Wolf was a group of people who felt like we were um, artists and expressionists that didn't have a venue to really express ourselves or express our interests, our perspectives. And so like, rather than waiting around for somebody to invite us into their venue, we just decided to start our own venue. Um, so so that's what I was doing sort of on the side, but it wasn't a business by any means. So I wouldn't call it a career path at the, at the time. Um, and then in 2015, um, I, I made a really big push to like write a business plan and put together an investment offering and take what all the momentum we had built with, uh, with Meow Wolf and actually produce like a permanent business oriented admissions based attraction here in Santa Fe, New Mexico called the House of Eternal Return. And I pitched it to George R. R. Martin, uh, who's the author of Game of Thrones, who happens to live here in Santa Fe. And I know him because he hired me to be like a marketing guy at a movie theater that he owns. So um, I pitched it to him, said, hey, man, there's this like old rundown bowling alley in the middle of town. And uh, Meow Wolf can take it over and we could do something really cool with it. Would you be down to, to help? And so he, he said yes. And we basically used that building and use that lease to then go and raise the capital necessary to build out the first permanent exhibition, the house of eternal return. And I became the CEO of that, of that effort. And yeah, we opened our doors in 2016. It's an 18,000 square foot exhibition and um, it just took off. It's like multimedia, immersive, psychedelic, really colorful, um, you know, choose your own adventure, storytelling adventure, but it's also based in like, you know, uh, emerging art and handmade art. And so it took off. It just like went viral. And so then I, then I found myself like at, as the CEO and one of the founders of a, a company that was doing like millions of dollars of revenue and, and had interest to grow, you know, like we saw this as an opportunity to now take it to other cities. So, um, I spent my time like uh, from, from the time that we opened the doors and until like, you know, 2000, 2019, I spent my time as CEO sort of like expanding the company, growing, like, um, you know, building a production facility, hiring hundreds of people, um, and then signing leases in Denver and in Vegas and developing, doing creative development for, um, those exhibitions. And so we're finally seeing the fruits of that labor now with Vegas having opened in February, 
um, after like a four year production cycle. And then Denver is going to be opening very soon. Um, I think I can say the date because I think that we've announced the date already. Uh, we're going to be opening uh, September 19th in Denver to the public. And so it's really exciting. That's been like a four and a half year production cycle. And, it, and the project is just like totally monumental. So yeah, so that's kind of like where I'm at. Um, the last piece of my career trajectory is that like upon creating such like big promises in Vegas and Denver with massive budgets and these like, you know, really sophisticated, uh, production processes. Um, I went out and raised the money to get that project, those projects done, which was a massive raise. And I kind of stepped back and I looked at it and I was like, I don't have the ability or experience or sophistication to deliver these projects. I can think big, I can be a big visionary. I can like push the company to be, you know, to have as much creative audacity as possible, but actually like nuts and bolts, like delivering these projects, this is beyond my, my capability. So, um, I hired an amazing, uh, project delivery person from, from, from Imagineering, uh, Ali Rubenstein, uh, Rubenstein, and then also a CFO, uh, and, uh, a couple other people and basically said, you guys, I need you guys to take over the company and, and get these projects to the finish line. And so that's what they've done. They've done an incredible job. So Vegas opened in February, uh, Denver in September, and now we're off to the races. Awesome. Cool. Vince, thank you for sharing all that. I want to go back a little bit where you said, you know, you're going through this process and you said, I became the CEO. How did you get to be the one that was CEO? It sounds like there was a lot of people involved. Yeah, there's people involved. I mean, it, it was like a natural progression. You know, like when we, when we started Meow Wolf in 2008, like I called the first meeting. I was like, hey, friends, get together. We should start a collective, you know? And then I signed the lease. You know, I, saw, I was always the one signing leases or I was always the one talking to the media or I was always the one trying to raise money. And raising money back then was basically like putting out a cardboard box that said donations on it. Uh, but I was always the one that was making sure that that cardboard, that cardboard box like existed, you know? And um, so, yeah, so it was always kind of like, I was always kind of the one that was pushing us forward, you know, saying we can do bigger, we can do better, we can... Uh, we can grow this thing. We can build momentum around this thing. So then, you know, when it came time uh, and, you know, we had a lot of group meetings and there was a lot of group consensus around who um, was going to be identified as the founders and who was going to be identified as the CEO. So it was like a group consensus kind of process. And, um, and yeah, you know, like for, for a moment there, Meow Wolf was like dead in the water. Like before this project, it was pretty much dead in the water, but I wasn't willing to give up on it. So I wrote the business plan. I got the, I got George on board. I brought in the first investors. So it was just kind of like a natural progression that then I became CEO. Cool. How has it been to explain to people what exactly this is? It's not a museum, yeah. you know, it's, it's not an FEC by any means, but this sort of immersive yeah. entertainment art experience when you're kind of, I would say almost inventing this new vertical in the attraction space, how do you draw people in by, by setting yeah. an expectation? Cause most people probably haven't done anything like this before. Sure. Like at first, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's art like, you know, and I, I, I can't continue on describing unless I start there it's art and it's not theme. It's not a theme. It's not theming. It's not themed attraction. It's art. And with that comes like, you know, forms and materials and processes 
um, and ideations that are risky and challenging and coming from an angle that is not the most efficient. And I think that that's a really important kind of component part, you know, is that the, the arts at the center of it. Um, but, but then it's all those things that you said, it is an FE, it's a, it is an FEC or an LBE, or, um, it is an attraction, you know, it is a themed attraction. It just happens to be, uh, rooted in the, uh, arti in artistic expression. Um, but oftentimes we say it's like, a, it's an immersive multimedia, uh, art experience that, um, weaves, um, story exploration and discovery uh, together to create, um, you know, to create an engaging experience for audiences um, that that's really of their own choosing. Like it's really the core of Meow Wolf is that we provide an environment of the unknown, which art is really good at providing an environment of the unknown. And we allow for people to then explore and discover within, within that environment, you know? And oftentimes one thing that I say about themed entertainment is that like, even though they're, they're like, you know, massive budgets to build out these spaces and massive budgets and, and, you know, all of this artwork that's building out these spaces, the spaces are tend to be known environments. They tend to be like recreations of IP, or they tend to be things that are familiar. Um, and, 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 and it's within that where I think Meow Wolf distinguishes itself. Like we don't want to create a familiar environment by any means. We don't want to recreate IP. We don't want you to walk in a thing that you already know about before you go in. Because core to Meow Wolf is that, that we're, we're pre presenting people with an unknown environment because it's within those unknown environments where exploration and discovery is truly possible. And that's what's special about, about the experience. What I think is really interesting is that you've got this sort of choose your own adventure. You know, you're, everybody's going to get maybe something a little bit different out of this, which is, you know, when you say that at, at its core, it's art, everybody appreciates and, and interprets art very differently. Yeah. So when you're thinking about designing a, a, a space or an attraction for, you know, hundreds of people to go through an experience, do you have an idea of at the end what you want them to see, or is it just about yeah. the journey? You, you do. I mean, you, I think you have a sense of what you want people to feel like more than anything, you know, and you start there and then, you know, yeah, we develop, you know, we, we go through proper like concept development and design development um, as anybody else would. So we have a sense of exactly what it is that we're delivering. We do a big RFP process. We look at proposals, we look at the, the work, um, you know, but ultimately we, we know what we want people to feel in the space and it's, it's magic, it's mystery, it's, um, it's exploration, it's discovery. And, um, you know, and, and I, and we know that we wanted to take good pictures. We wanted to be beautiful. You know, we wanted to be like strikingly beautiful, like moments that are like, Whoa, I can't believe I'm even in reality right now. This is so beautiful. Like, so that's, that's always a key component of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you walk us through, I would say kind of the, the lens of the guest from the time yeah. that they walk in, whether it's in Santa Fe or in Vegas or, or coming up in, in Denver, sure. what do you do? What, you know, what are kind of those nuts <laughs> and bolts? What happens inside the grocery store? What happens when you open yeah. the food? What, you know, what's yeah, going like, on? Yeah, it's like, you know, in, in, in Santa Fe, you buy a ticket and you walk into a house. Um, it's like a two-story Victorian house, like very um, literally. 
and in Vegas, you buy your ticket and you walk into a grocery store and it's very literally a grocery store. Like it's shelves of products and, um, it's about 5,000 square feet of space. And, um, you know, what we want to do is we want to, we want you to enter into a space that is, that is known, that is understandable, is accessible. Does it make you feel uncomfortable, you know, kind of like, you know, where you're at. And so in both of these situations, the house and the, and the grocery store, you know, we, we call that the accessible component of Meow Wolf, but it's important then to transition people from the accessible component into the unknown component. And so both in the house and in the grocery store, there are secret passageways, uh, uh, portals into an unknown dimension. And the unknown dimension is really driven by um, new media, sculptural, abstract uh, expressions of, of immersive multimedia art. Um, and it's just, it's your world, you know, like, if you're in the house in Santa Fe, you can go into the parents' bedroom. You can learn about the family that lives in the house. You can go into the kids' bedroom. You can lay on their bed. You can play their board games. You can read the books that they have, look at their photo albums. It's your call, whatever you want to do. Um, in the grocery store, you can pick, look through all the products. You can buy the products. You can um, interact with the various kiosks and the, and the employees. The employees are a really part, important part of the Omega Mart experience. And then, you know, when you decide to go through a portal or go through a secret, secret passageway, you've now entered into like truly an abstracted immersive space with a ton of really beautiful things. And you're still in control of your experience completely. Like want to go in the treehouse, go in the treehouse. Want to go down the slide, go down the slide. Want to sit in the room that has crazy psychedelic visuals and just sit there and lay around. You can do that too. So it's really putting the control in the guest's hands and trying to eliminate like the over operationalizing that happens a lot in the themed entertainment world, which is like, walk here, do this, hmm. go here, watch this thing, you know, and trying to like eliminate that and give people just an environment to exist in. So I would think some people, Vince, would walk through that and say, well, I, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, right? Because they haven't been directed to do it. Yeah. And they just walk through and go, well, what the heck was that? You know, so- sure. You mentioned that the employees are a big part of it. So are they in there kind of giving suggestions or directing in a little bit to kind of give people an idea of what they could do? Sure. If you ask, if the audience members ask, you know, it's got to be on them. Like yeah. the power, the power of the experience is that people have agency. Like the audience has agency. And the the issue with our built environment, like the physical world, you know, suburban you know, suburban shopping experiences or themed attractions or movie theaters or whatever, is that they all are programmed with like structured processes of experience that do not feel like you know, they feel, they feel, they, they, they feel controlling. They, they feel, um, you know, claustrophobic in a lot of ways. The only places you can really find that type of freedom are in natural environments, like going out on a hike or something, you know, then you can kind of do whatever you want. And, so, so it's really important for us to not give people maps, not give people, you know, task lists to like not have a point to it. It's not an escape room. You know, there's not a point to it. Like the point is to explore and to discover things, whatever it is that you want to explore and whatever it is you want to discover. Huh. Yeah. There's people, there's people who definitely walk out and be like, I have no idea what that was. That was pointless. 
but the vast majority, like the vast majority walk out being like, that was freaking amazing. What are the subtle ways, whether it's maybe if they're not asking an employee, like, is there something on one of the shelves in Omega Mart that is like, is very inviting and that, and that draws people to it. Uh, otherwise, you know, you could, you could walk around for hours just looking for, I would say the different portals over, over into yeah. the unknown, you know, kind of what are some of the ways that yeah. might kind of pull people in? Well, I think like the most, the most obvious one, the one that's like most popular, um, you know, and it's gone viral many times. It's like the refrigerator in, in the house of eternal return. So you have this house, you have the Victorian house and there's a kitchen and the kitchen has a refrigerator as it would. And, um, that refrigerator when, when opened, instead of there being food in there, it's like a long, you know, bright lit hallway that leads into who knows where. And, uh, people see other people go through it. Also, like you also, everybody wants to open the refrigerator. And so, so that's like a very like attractive moment to, um, you know, to venture towards. And it's, and, and that's really the transformative moment for people. It's like they get to the refrigerator and when they open it and they realize that the refrigerator, the refrigerator is like different than what the refrigerator is supposed to be. Then like this moment happens where the world can be different than what the world is supposed to be. And the individual can be different than the individual is supposed to be. And you kind of break the context of normalcy. You break the context of identity and you you provide an opportunity for possibility for newness for something else and i think that that's a really magical moment for people because they feel it in themselves like i now have a permission to be whatever i want to be not the context that i have been and that's really where the transformative moment happens you know so is that same i guess attitude and outlook um you know, given to the employees as well. So they have the opportunity and oh, yeah. the freedom to kind of have that experience and, and provide the experience for the guests in whatever way totally. that shaping that day. Yeah. It's, it's especially apparent in Vegas. Cause like we, we hired a lot of, um, you know, skilled operators who are really, uh, aligned with Im improvisation and play and play like playfulness. And so like, yeah, they, they have total reign to just free reign to just like, you know, ex, uh, help, help the guests experience whatever it is that they wanted to experience. Some people can like, some people are contortionists and they will just start randomly doing contortion with their body. Or some people are, you know, walking around the space, you know, kind of following people and people are like, what's going on? Why is this person following me? It, just having playful moments, you know, together. So yeah, for sure. We, we, we really want to provide that same type of agency exploration and discovery for the for the internal company for the operations team and the production team as as we do for the for the guests cool well the cool thing about that too is that because of that dynamic with your employees with your staff as well as the way that it's built and given the guests the agency no two guests are going to have the same experience and there's going to be a huge repeatability factor of yeah. it too, because you can go and, and have an entirely different experience than if you came last time or, you know, you know, on a, on a previous visit. That's totally right. And you also, you also provide a space where like anyone of any age of any background has the experience that they have, you know, by choice. And so like, it, it truly is like a multi-generational experience you know a six-year-old is going to engage with the space completely different than a 96 year old mm -hmm. but they're both going to engage with the space 
in a way that brings them the magic of their own exploration and their own discovery, you know? And so it really eliminates when you eliminate those operational oversights, you know, cause like most of those operational oversights are like directed towards who's our demographic and who's our market and what type of experience are we trying to create? And when you eliminate that, you really open it up to like a true, you know, four quadrant market. Yeah. Yeah. Vince, I recently heard you use the term um, crisis of imagination. Can yeah. You a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, imagining things, um, having future based vision is not something that is taught or something that we value, um, in our, in our world, or even have really good language around, um, you know, you can think about art classes or, you know, the, the create, you know, creative education being cut out of public schools. That's, that's kind of an obvious thing, but even more so it's like we, as individuals, we're so much more addicted to the past. We're so much more, we have such a, um, a, a visual, we have such a, we have, we have, we've built such a strong visual of the past through memory and we anchor to memory a lot. And we fail to like use the same uh, tool, which is our brain, our imagination to actually imagine into the future. And so like the past is very defined and we, we get, you know, pretty comfortable with the past, but we don't use those same tools to think about the future. And so, you know, and, and I think like there's, we get, you know, there's people who, who do use their imagination and then provide the content for, for folks, but it, but then like the, the, the mass, you know, the mass population really just is consuming other somebody else's imagination rather than always, rather than also being inspired to produce from their own imagination. And so it's like a one-way consumption process rather than like a two-way consumption and production process. And so, you know, it's really important at, at Meow Wolf that like we, we, we have people inspired to create that like people leave Meow Wolf inspired to create and inspired to think about how the world can be different for them or how their bedroom could, could be different, how their bedroom, how they could decorate their bedroom to be different or whatever it might be. Um, because at the core of imagination, future-based imagination is, um, at the core of it is, is creation, like for your own life. Like it's like, it's in the imagination and the, and the future uh, uh, based imagination where you can actually start to, to take the actions that change your life or change your family's life or change your community or world's life. And without envisioning it first, you're, you're not, you're not going to have a guide, a guidepost to be able to do it. So um, yeah, you know, I think like what's, What's good though, is that like the trajectory that it seems to be going in, especially with the internet and with social media is that we are, we are seeking out new content, um, Facebook and TikTok and Instagram. When we go on those platforms, we're looking for new content and, um, and, and with TikTok, we're, we're also, a lot of people are producing that new content. They are using their imagination to produce new content. And so the internet has sort of opened us up to exploration and discovery and venturing into the unknown and venturing into our imagination. And now it's just time for the physical world to catch up. Like, you know, the digital world has gotten like trillions of dollars of investment over the last 30 years. 
And the content in our digital devices is like way more advanced than, than any of the content that's out in the physical world. And so I'd oftentimes say that like, you know, don't blame people for staring at their phones because their phones have better content on them than the physical world. So, you know, if we really want people to stop staring at their phones, then let's start investing in the physical world and start developing things that are actually interesting and imaginative and engaging, you know? Um, and so that's kind of like the crisis of imagination, you know, and, and honestly, we see it on this, on the biggest scale. Like we talk about like, uh, global warming, climate change, it's a lot about talking about the problems and talking about like how we got here. It's all past-based and there's a crisis of imagination around that. Like nobody has painted the picture of where we need to go. Like no one's like created the imaginative visual of like, this is what it could look like 50 years from now. If, if we do this. And so we all end up kind of stuck here being like, ah, I don't know if I should drive my SUV and I don't know if I should eat meat, but like, having a real picture of what it could be, you know, needs to be created in, in order for us to rally behind it, you know? So, yeah. I like how you just drew a very quick line there between attractions, the entertainment space, and one of the biggest global crises and, and solving it the exact same way. I, yes. I, yeah, I think that's, it's not only interesting, but also really important to, to think about it as well. I, Vince, can you walk us through what your imagination process looks like a little, or, or give us a little glimpse into that? Wow. That's a good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, uh, gosh, there's, you know, there's like an instinctive moment, like really early on in the process for me, like a seed that's planted. That's like very instinctive. And I don't know where the data comes from, but like, it's, it's like, I, I can feel that this idea is a good idea. Like it's like, this will work. And I don't know what determines that. I don't know what brings me that instinct of like, this would work. Um, you know, but from there, like, um, you know, whatever that might be. So if I, I'm like, I think immersive multimedia experiences is going to be something that people will like. And I don't know why I know that, but I just really think that that's the case. Um, then starting from there being like going through, I think the broadest strokes first, you know, the broadest strokes with like the, a few people, like keeping the room really small, but going through the broadest strokes and talking about, I think first and foremost, the why, of the idea, like the mission of the idea, why are we doing this? And then going into the who, like the, for who are we doing this? Um, and then from that, then you start to get into the what of it. And the, the what of the project needs to be, needs to be aligned with the who and aligned with the why. And the what also, the what of a project, again, needs to instinctively feel like the type, you know, needs to instinctively have the characteristics that you know you want the who to experience. And so, like, if you want it to be magical, then when you start to develop the what, you're 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 really honing in on like, will this be magical? And you put yourself in the shoes of a visitor even before anything has even been created, and you 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 try to feel it from the eyes and heart of the visitor, the the guest will this be magical? And, um, you know, I think that like starting with those feelings rather than starting, I think like, again, I'm like, I, I dog on this all the time, but like recreation of IP, 
It's like, are we, are we trying to create a magical experience? Or are we trying to create an experience that looks a lot like the thing they saw on the movie? And I think that the, the magic gets lost. Like the reason why the movie was so awesome was because it was magical. But now we're just, re instead of going for magic, we're actually just going for recreation of what they saw in the movie. And then the magic's lost. We're not focusing on the magic. So, you know, so that's important. But then we, you know, then we go through the, the process of the what. And what I oftentimes say to clients is like, do not limit your, your, your development of the what based on your doubts of the how. Like hmm. oftentimes we will like stop ourselves from truly imagining special experiences because we're too caught up in how, in how it's going to get done. And we doubt ourselves that it can get done, whether it's money, whether it's experience, whether it's materiality or capacity of any sort, like we, so, so we end up compromising the what before the what's even imagined. And, and I always say like, just, just focus on the what and we'll get to the how later, <laughs> like the, how we'll figure it, we'll, we'll figure itself out, you know? So that's always, you know, pretty important, important to me. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then you work and then you work your ass off to try to get the thing done and you probably stress out and freak out and have a lot of moments of doubt and have a lot of moments of difficulty, but you just have to power through and get to the finish line, you know? Yeah. I, I think like how you didn't just paint a rosy picture there. You probably <laughs> like, and then here's the, the reality how. that comes yeah. with it. <laughs> the, how, the how is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> Getting yeah. finishing is very hard. You know, I, I'd say like, especially for artists, like finishing a project is an emotional experience of being like, it's done, you know, it's done. And it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. And it's done, you know, and then just letting it be. Yeah. It's, that's an important part of the process. Didn't somebody once say that art was never completed. It was just abandoned. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Like that's, that's definitely the case. And I think that's kind of like sort of part of the magic of Meow Wolf too. It's like, we don't create to, to a design that has all of the completed parts. Like if you give us, you could give us 10 years on a project and we would continue to be creating it until someone just basically said, we have to stop and we have to open. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's, that is a difference between like design oriented themed entertainment versus like artistic oriented, you know, immersive art, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that, that I was curious about too, when you have, you know, more than a hundred artists who are working on a single project and each one of them is coming with their own unique set of imagination and their talents and their skill set, uh, and then being able to align it to the specific goal, as well as getting to that finish line. I'm, you know, how do you, I would say kind of bring all that together? Cause I would imagine that without kind of having some sort of anchor in place, everyone is going to have their own unique interpretation of what it should look like, what it should be, what it should feel like. And I can imagine it must be a challenge to kind of pull everyone in towards sort of this kind of this, like I said, anchor magnet that leads everyone to that. Yeah. Goal. Yeah. You want that. Like, you know, the, the, the problem is that it's, you know, it's inefficient and it costs money and it's difficult. Like, so, you know, businesses, corporations, don't really want to give space for that kind of, you know, for, for that ambiguity or for that diversity of, 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 of creativity um, because it's inefficient. And so we, we end up creating design processes that say, 
here's the idea, here's the concept, here's how it's going to be designed. And now it's completed and it looks exactly the same as it was when we first conceptualized it. And it's like real, you know, but then what all of the magic or a lot of the magic can, can get lost in that. Um, from our end, you want to have the unexpected. You want to have the unknown present throughout the entire process. And we do different things to make sure that that happens. Like we add different types of phases into our production uh, pipeline that most themed entertainment pipelines don't have um, in order to in order to inject that sense of un unknown and uncertainty and diversity into the into the work. Um, but I've oftentimes said, said that like you start off with an understanding, then you have a large space in the middle where there's maybe a lot of flexibility and a lot of uh, instinctive responses of you know creative responses, and you don't exactly know where it's going to go. And then at the end, you bring it back together with a with a with an understanding. So it's like sort of bookended with um, structure and consistency. But then within the middle, it's very flexible and it's very like who knows what's going to come out of this, you know. Mm -hmm. Vince, I'm curious because you when you were talking about the crisis of of um, imagination, you know, you talked about schools and some of the things that they're doing. What would you recommend, like even for parents who might be listening to encourage the imagination of their kids, what can they do to kind of get them thinking more along the lines of looking to the future and not being so tied to the past? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, you should perceive your kids and perceive yourself and perceive the people around you as, as the people that they're becoming, not the people that they've been, you know, and like really like try to hone in on the identity um, as an identity that is in the process of like is moving towards something, not the identity that's built up something over time. Hmm. Um, and I think like, you know, challenge, I think it's a must, you know, I think imagination is a muscle and challenging your kid to think about like, what do you want to do next week? What do you want to do next month? What trip do you want to take? You know, like what, and, and, and challenging them to think about these things. And obviously, you know, art and creativity. I mean, like, um, Legos, uh, you know, sculpture, you know, sculpt, sculpt material, um, paint, like all of these things. I think like, how do you want your, how do you want your room to look and really pushing them to, to think about their room and changing their room and like having their room be a place where they envision and then try to create it. You know, I think are all good examples of how you can train that muscle. So oh, and another, another really important one too is failure. And this is like, this is a, a fundamental piece that keeps the imagination from being trained, which is basically that like, we're so obsessed with success and so obsessed with like keeping people from failing and keep kids failing and keeping ourselves from failing that we don't venture into the unknown of the imagination because guess what? Like whenever you think about doing something and then try to do it, you fail over and over and over again. So there's gotta be a comfortability with failure. Like there's gotta be like a recognition that failure is part of the creation process and it's part of the imaginative process. And that the more you fail, the better you get at thinking up something and then creating it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's incredible advice. Thanks for uh, for sharing that. So over the last year and a half or so, uh, you know, you've been running a business that the world has deemed non-essential, right? And this is, you know, we we did a, a whole episode on this, you know, a uh, couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, on you know, on, on how attractions are essential. Uh, but curious as far as how that has uh, 
maybe reframed your mindset or reinforced everything that you already believe that what you do is so important. When you talk about, you know, an immersive location-based art yeah. experience, I think the ultimate question is, why does any of this matter? Yeah, well, I mean, why it matters is that we're providing an environment where people can can activate their imagination. They can be anything that they want. They, that possibility comes back into their being that they, they're broken from the norm and broken from the, the default network. And they're able to have a psychedelic experience uh, without the drugs and basically break themselves from the, their default network. And then what, what's left is, a, is possibility. And there's not many ways to do that in our world, especially at like, you know, $35 ticket price. Um, there's, you know, entertainment and play are very important things, you know, like, especially when we're living in a world of like <laughs> crisis, um, and stress and terrible presidents, like we need to be able to go out and, and enjoy ourselves, um, and have fun with each other too, like in, in a collaborative set, in a collaborative setting, in a, in a social space, um, creating content that competes with the phone. I mean, is like definitely something that needs to happen, like to get people off of the phone and to open their eyes and realize that the world is filled with engaging content or can be filled with engaging content. Um, you know, but, but COVID, COVID fundamentally, you know, got us oriented towards doing as many things inside of our house as we possibly can and being comfortable with that. So get on Amazon and buy as much stuff as you can on Amazon, use your Uber Eats, use, you know, use your DoorDash or whatever. And um, so the, the big question now is what's worth leaving the house for, you know? And so like, I think that that's, and the physical world, the physical develop, the world of physical development, suburban developments and retail developments and malls, you know, shopping malls, they were devastated by COVID. And they were already going to be devastated because we we're all already going in this direction, but now COVID just accelerated it. The, the movie theater is devastated. Like Netflix had already compromised the movie theater as the anchor space. Like it's not the anchor space anymore, but then COVID just basically said, okay, you're, you know, you're done. So now we have all of this physical infrastructure out in the world that, is, that doesn't have content and all these developers who own property and they can't get people through the door and people who finance these developments who are, hoping for a return on their develop on, the, on their on their investment and they don't have content um that's going to actually attract people so this idea of micro attraction micro theme spaces art spaces things that people can take pictures of um have become uh more important than ever to the economy of the physical world um and so I think that like this whole process has really positioned the themed entertainment world and the world of immersive arts and the world of place-based entertainment, location-based entertainment, you know, is really um, positioned incredibly well. Yeah. And I would even go back to what you talked about earlier in terms of those transformative moments when you open the refrigerator and there's no food in there, but you can go in this long hallway and not know where you're going. And that opens your mind to think about the rest of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
you, you can't get that on the phone. You know, you can't get that usually in, in your house unless you have some other experience. So um, I think anytime you can get out of the four walls of your house and you can get into those experiences where you see something different and new. Um, and, you know, before yeah. before people were building theme parks, there was nature, like you mentioned, right? People would yeah. go out on the hike and have these transformative experiences. And now, you know, we're, we're building them and, and creating even different experiences. So I think, you know, I'll kind of answer Josh's question a little bit because I, yeah. think, I think that has a big, a big part to play in it as well. Yeah. Transformational experiences is what it's all about. Like, you know, Pine and Gilmore wrote the experience economy. They kind of placed experience economy at the top of that hierarchy. And then they adjusted, they amended their, 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 uh, their essay to add another tier, which is called the transformational economy. And the transformational economy basically says that we don't want to just have experiences. We want to have transformational experiences. That's the point. That's the reason why we go and have experiences. Mm -hmm. And so um, you're right. Physical, the physical world is, is the, is the gateway to transformational experiences. I believe that VR could be too. Like I've had transformational experiences on B in VR. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of VR. I also think that, you know, there's other ways in your house to have transformational experiences. They just don't happen to be legal, uh, <laughs> you know, which is a different podcast, but one that I'm also interested in. Um, and so like, yeah, I, I think that you're right. The, the opportunity to go out into the, the world and experience the world in a, in a new light is, has like wild value to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, that transformational experience, uh, you mentioned Pine and Gilmore, and, and yeah, that, that last chapter in the book was kind of mind-blowing because it almost debunked everything they had said at all. They're like, okay, that's all great, but now we actually need to talk about the next yeah, level. And then right. they say, well, what's even beyond this? And I think they even said, like, you get to a point where it's just divine. Like, you actually, like, you, you can't go any further on earth, essentially. Uh, and and then yeah. they also said that, you know, the customer is the product. Um, and I think everything that you talk about, you know, really reinforces that too, that when you come and buy a ticket, what you leave with is now an, an even better version of yourself. And especially that imagination component of it with the immersive art that's not connected to the IP. I, I really like that, um, that way of thinking that if you do go to a theme park that, you know, that is anchored on IP, then yeah, you are only activating your memory to say, this is amazing because I feel like I'm in the movie that I saw in the past. And when you leave, you are, you are thinking about the experience as, as a historical event in your life rather than really? coming to Meow Wolf. And now you leave thinking now, I, I'm, I'm, yes, yeah. there was a historical experience, but now this is who I am going forward. So uh, that's deep. That's um, yeah. And it's, a, and, it, and it comes to me like in real, basically to like creating a known environment versus, versus creating an unknown environment. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a lot of amazing things about Galaxy's Edge. Don't get me wrong. I freaking love it. Rise of the Resistance is like the, the Rise of the Resistance is like the best thing that I've ever experienced at an amusement park, at a theme park. And a lot of artists put a lot of really quality work into making that land possible. So I, I don't, but you know, but like fundamentally at the core of it, it's like um, some of the most magical experiences of Galaxy's Edge uh, happen within the unknown. It's like little moments of performance that happen or interactions between performers and guests that are not scripted, that, that happen spontaneously. That's like very magical. Mm -hmm. And, and, and actually ironically is the stuff that shares on social media the, the most. So like, you know, having a stormtrooper come up and say something witty to 
uh, some obnoxious guests and that being filmed by someone on their iPhone shares way better than like any of the other marketing that Disney's done for galaxy's edge, you know? Yeah. So it's like in that moment of spontaneity that there's so much value, you know, we're like walking into walking into the bar and the sort of the feeling of that bar and the way that it sort of is, it's happening right in front of you. Um, it's not scripted and it's real, like that's probably one of the better, the better moments. Um, or, or the ability to create your own, your own, you know, your, your own droid, you know, like that's, that is a brilliant experience. And it's because you go in and you have agency, you're exploring an unknown environment, um, uh, within this droid factory. And, uh, so yeah, anyway, I, I, I think that like, what's, what's tough though, is that it's really challenging for like executives and people hand, handling money to like leave space for the unknown because like there's two industries that want to know more than anything. And it's like the construction industry needs to know, like we need to know everything. And then the world of financial institutions need to know everything. We know exactly where the money's going, exactly how it's being spent, exactly the return on it. And so when like the construction industry and the financial institutions run the process, it's going to be like all known things, all predictable known things, you know, but when the artists run the process, that's when you have the unpredictable, the magic, and I think the higher return on investment ultimately. So. Awesome. Well, Vince, this has been a fascinating conversation. You've given me and I think Josh probably a lot to think about. So I appreciate that from, from that standpoint. If people wanted to find out more about Meow Wolf or about you, where would you send them? Yeah. So I am, um, I now have a consulting agency that I, uh, I have a relationship with Meow Wolf with. Um, it's called Spatial Activations and it's all about like location-based content. Um, and so you can reach me at Vince at spatialactivations.com, or you can also reach me at Vince at meowwolf.com. I still have that, that email handle. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely am like interested in taking clients and stuff. And so, uh, mostly on the like creative development side, concept development side, um, you know, and so, so yeah, definitely reach out. Awesome. Well, Vince, thank you again so much for your time today. We really appreciate having the opportunity to get to chat with you, uh, such a fun conversation. Like Matt said, you know, this'll, this'll be lingering, I would say in my imagination when, uh, you know, going forward and, and really thinking about everything in life now. So thank awesome. you so much for your time today. And for everyone out there who's watching and listening, just remember we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the attraction pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release and even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.